Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good morning, City Church. My name is Kelly Baker, and my husband is here. Jason, if you can give a wave. We are so happy to be here this morning and to share with you. My family and I, we are global workers in East Africa. So a little bit about our background. We have been in Charlottesville for almost 20 years. We were students at UVA, and we were heavily influenced by Chi Alpha at UVA, led by Pete and Amy Bulette. Um, it transformed our lives. I was saved through Chi Alpha, and we were just really radically transformed, including missions, globally and locally. Um, we have three kids, Annalise, Clark, and Leo. I have a picture of them, and they're actually across the street in kids space, but we have been here at City Church as our home church for almost that long, about 20 years, and we now, about three or four years ago, we started feeling stirred for a transition. Our youngest was heading to preschool, and I was thinking about what that meant for us, and I was praying and asking the Lord for that. Long story short, we felt like God was stirring for us a bigger change than we were anticipating, and feeling led to move abroad. We, in 2019, we raised funds, quit our jobs, and left our family, our belongings, our home church here, and we moved to East Africa. There we work among a Muslim people group where we would consider them unreached. Unreached means that about 99% do not know Jesus. If someone where we work wanted to learn about Jesus, they don't know someone who knows someone who could tell them more. That is what it's like in parts of the world. Because of our location, I'm having to be a little sensitive of all that I say. So if you want to know more details, we would love to talk with you afterwards. My husband has a table in the back. I'll be up here. We would love to share more about what God is doing. Our job is teaching English. We teach English at an English school for adults. But our greater vision is to see the indigenous church planted among this unreached people group. We do this through building relationships and intentionally introducing people to the person of Jesus. Exciting things are happening there, and I can't wait to tell you just a little story at the end. Thank you again to City Church. This is our home. Many of you in this room, you and City Church, you guys have helped us get there. You have prayed for us, you have supported us financially, and we just want to say thank you. We would not be here without you. So living in Africa, I always have a list, a running list on my phone of things to bring from America. This happens even when I'm in America. I'm having a list of things to bring from America. If you're curious like I always was, what's on the list? I'll tell you a few things. Good, sharp knives for cooking. Uh, insulated water bottles, cotton sheets, and do you know, American underwear. It's not like it 
in Africa. The American underwear, the elastic is way better. <clears throat> One thing that may surprise you, that something that I carried in my carry-on over 24 hours of travel to get to East Africa was, I have a picture, a three-pound bag of Nestle Toll House semi-sweet chocolate chip morsels. Can I get an amen? Okay, no, no off-brand, okay? Why would I bring this there? I'm a mom and a baker, literally, and I, you can't find this here. We live in a hot and tropical climate. So if you find, maybe you can find some sort of off-brand of chocolate chips, they would be four or five times the price, and because somehow in transit, it will 99% have melted, and then it's re-solidified in the fridge at the store, and you're buying a solid block of chocolate. So, chocolate chips in my house in East Africa is a treasure. My husband knew this, my kids knew this. When we were baking and the recipe called for half a cup, we would use a tablespoon. So one time, we often host visitors in our team in East Africa. Some visitors were there, some college-age students. The girls were staying with my family for the week, and they would often stay up later than our bedtime. We would encourage them to make themselves at home, and we would see them in the morning. At the end of their trip, they came to me and they said, Kelly, we've been trying to replace a few things that we've been snacking on, and we can't find your any replacement bag of chocolate chips. Where can we buy it? And I had to look at them in horror and say, America. They were horrified. You know, they didn't know. To them, chocolate chips were ordinary, commonplace. You could get it anywhere. In East Africa, chocolate chips are a treasure. Now, how much more? There Maybe there's more important things than chocolate chips. Chocolate chips are a luxury. They're not necessity to life. They're not essential. But if the Bible says something about our treasure, I want to pay attention. I don't want to miss it like the girls that stayed with us. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna to turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. You can use your phone, I also am gonna put it up here. It's the, the whole parable is one verse. It's the shortest parable in the entire Bible, but yet it has such profound meaning. I'm gonna read it together. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it Again, and then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. You may be familiar if you've been coming to City Church. We're in the Kingdom of God series. And next week, just a teaser, Peter Hartwig, Pastor Pete's son, will be preaching on the ascension of Jesus. So I encourage you to come back. Today, as we look at the kingdom of heaven as a treasure in the field, I'm going to unpack a few things. And for those of you who've been here, this may be some review, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Matthew, you says, the kingdom of heaven, which is basically synonymous with kingdom of God. We, when you think about the kingdom of God, you would be thinking about the authority or rule of a king, not necessarily a location, a place, but the authority or rule of a king. It would be marked by peace, justice, blessing. The Jewish audience in Jesus' day, when they hear the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, they would be thinking of three things. They would be thinking of the present rule 
of God in heaven on a throne, sovereign over everything. They would be thinking of the past, earthly rule. God had established the kingdom of God through King David, and the Jewish people were the people of the kingdom. But then they would also be looking forward to a future promise when the kingdom of God would come back again and we'd be the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth would be reunited and the Jewish people would have their place again on earth. This would be centered around a future king, which they call Messiah, or in the Greek, Christ. So there's a future promise of a king, a Messiah. Jesus often is challenging and expanding the disciples' view of the kingdom of God and the kingdom and the Messiah. We see, because we know the end of the story in the beginning, we know that Jesus is the Messiah. In John 4, he's talking to the woman at the well, and she says, they're kind of in this fun back and forth, and he says, oh, yeah, 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 I will talk about, I'll learn more things when the, when the Messiah comes. And Jesus says to the woman, I, speaking to you, I am he. Later in this book of Matthew, in chapter 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, you are the Messiah, that future king that we're waiting for. We also see that picture, Pastor Pete's video, we see the picture in Revelation of the nations gathering around the throne. And there's a throne of God and a throne of the Lamb. The Lamb is a person of Jesus, the one who was slain and bore his sin, our sins on the cross. We can see from even more than that, that Jesus, he's the future promise. He's the king of the kingdom of God. So when we look at this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field. We can also need to look at the treasure. I have young sons, and when I think of treasure hidden in the field, you know what I think about? Pirates. <laughs> a map with an X and the buried treasure, and you're going to it. But let me just say, the Jewish audience of Jesus' day, they weren't thinking about that. In their day, they didn't have savings or banks. And so when you wanted to put money away for a rainy day, you would have a clay pot. I think I have a picture. You would have a clay pot and you would put coins or jewels and you would seal it and you would bury it in one of, in your yard somewhere, in a field that you owned. A wealthy family would have multiple clay pots in their field. So what is the treasure in this parable? It's not pirate treasure. They're thinking savings. This is something big. And for us, Jesus is making the idea that the kingdom of heaven is the treasure, is your savings, is everything you're investing in. That is the kingdom of God. And because we earlier said that Jesus is that future king, really we can say Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field because he is that future promise, that king that is coming to restore everything. Jesus continues to expand this idea of him being the Messiah and the king. I just wanted to read to you some of these verses in the Gospel of John where he has these I am statements. Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry 
and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he may die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And finally, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, Jesus is really trying to get across the point that he is the treasure. We can see this thoroughly in the Bible, but in this parable, this short parable, I'm drawing that connection for us. Jesus is the treasure in the field. Let's go back to the verse. What happens? A man, a man found it. He comes upon it. What is he doing that day? Again, back to our Jewish audience. It would be common in their day for people to be hired to work in your household, into your fields. So this man, this wasn't his field, this wasn't his treasure. He was probably a hired man, which would be common, and he would be working the land. As he's working and digging the soil, he unearths something, that clay pot. As he begins, he realizes, he knows what this is. So what's he do? He hid it again, and then in his joy, went and sold all he had in order to buy the field. The day before, or even the morning of, when this man is coming to work, was he thinking about selling anything, much less everything? This man, suddenly, after he finds the treasure, he liquidates all of his assets. This probably wasn't a short-term thing. This probably took weeks and even months or years for him to sell everything he owned in order to get enough money. This changed his goals, his lifestyle, his affections, his free time. This finding a treasure, it required total abandon. In the same way for us, Jesus is our treasure and it requires total and complete abandon. It affects everything because he is worth more than our worldly possessions. I love how this verse also includes in his joy. Why does Jesus say in his joy he did all these things? I think it might be because the Jewish religious leaders of that day, when they would have sacrifice or they would fast, they would often make a show of it. They would love to make a point of how downcast and forbearing they are. If they're selling everything, it's like, oh, woe is me. I'm in despair of all that I'm losing. But Jesus said that this man wasn't marked by despair, but joy. Why is that? I would say it's because he truly knew the value of that treasure. 
His focus wasn't on what he was losing, wasn't on what he was selling. His focus was on the treasure. And for us, the treasure is Jesus. We cannot help but give everything to him if he is our treasure. And we do it not begrudgingly, not out of just pure obedience and discipline. We do it out of love, and that's marked with joy. Our faith is meant to be lived outward. This is a joy that is an outward type of faith. People see it. You can't help but talk about the treasure in your life. So the takeaways from this scripture, Jesus is the treasure. He's the treasure in the field. This requires a life of total abandon, not half, 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 but complete abandon. And finally, our lives are, sh- are marked by joy, and it's outward and evident to those around us. I'd like to tell you a story that illustrates from our context. Nick was a devout Muslim and is from a prominent Muslim family. As a newly married man with a successful career teaching English, he wasn't questioning his faith. But in the summer of 2019, a short-term team member came and met Nick, and he began dialoguing about spiritual matters. Nick said later that he wasn't seeking, but something happened inside his heart. Seeds were planted. Months later, he couldn't shake these seeds of truth, and he connected to one of our team members on the ground. They began talking through his questions, studying the Bible. And when Nick came to Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said he found Jesus as his treasure. He decided to follow Jesus in September of 2019, right after we landed. However, Nick knew that his decision would not sit easy with his Muslim family. One day he came home and his brothers were standing outside his home. They were angry. They questioned him, we've heard that you have made a decision to follow Jesus. It's not true, right? Jesus could not deny the truth of Jesus. And so they began to assault him. They took all his worldly possessions. They kicked him out of his house. He lost his job, his family, his inheritance. And even his wife was taken from him. He lost everything. But Nick said, that he could not deny the truth and the hope of Jesus. This persecution has continued for two and a half years. He has been beaten, threatened, abducted several times. And can I just say that God has been faithful and despite his suffering, Nick has shared the truth of Jesus, this treasure he has with others. In the past year, he has led now six other men to the Lord. I have a picture of four of them. Similarly, each of these men, they have lost everything. They have been kicked out from their families. They have been persecuted and abducted as well. These, their shared faith has brought them together like family. We call them our brothers, a band of brothers. They live together. They share all things in common. 
They've lost their jobs, so when they have a job, they share, they pool their resources. They pray together, they worship together. They even go out sharing together. The vision of our team is to plant the indigenous church in, among this unreached people group. Our, in our Muslim context, there's some huge challenges here. Not only do we have to convince someone about the treasure of Jesus, but we have to get them to stand firm in their faith amidst the persecution that is inevitable. And not only that, we have to share with them and model with them to share that treasure with others. It's a huge challenge, but God is faithful and he has brought us Nick. Nick is a faithful disciple of Jesus and he is going out and effectively reaching other people from his people group, more effectively than we can. God is planting his church in our people group through Nick. And we pray that many, many, many will follow these brothers. I share this story because we often, sometimes in church, we, it's hard to hear stories about the persecuted church. We, like I said, we have to be sensitive in what we say and how much we can say. But it should inspire us. It should teach us something, even me. What is Nick, why do I share this story? What is God teaching us through Nick's story? To go back through the treasure in the field. Who does Jesus, who is Jesus to Nick? How does he value him? I would say he's the treasure, right? He is not an afterthought. He's not a once a week kind of Jesus to Nick. He's everything. It's when he goes to bed, it's the last thing he thinks about. When he rises, it's the first thing he thinks about. When he goes through his day, he's thinking about Jesus. When he makes decisions, he prays and asks God to lead him. Even when it's not convenient, or God doesn't seem close, Jesus must be our treasure. So my question, when we put feet to our faith, we have some application here. How do I value Jesus? Is he my treasure? For those of us who have not yet made a decision for Christ, can I encourage you, be like Nick, seek Jesus, read the scriptures, if Jesus is truly the treasure, you will find it. And for those of us who have been following Jesus for a time, can I encourage us, can we value Jesus? Is Jesus our treasure day in and day out, moment to moment, season to season? Is he our treasure? Second, Nick lived with complete and total abandon. I think that is what is so jaw-dropping we don't have to live in that context where we can literally have to lose everything in order to follow. But still, we should follow Jesus with total abandon. So, what is one area that God is asking me to abandon for him? We all have areas, even me, that's just hard to abandon and give over to Jesus. But if Jesus is the treasure, if he is everything, it's easy. It's simple, I should say, not easy. It's simple to give everything to him. And finally, Nick lives with joy. When you are around Nick or the brothers, 
They are always telling a joke. They were always pulling a prank on someone, and you wouldn't know that they've lost everything by the joy that they have. They love to tease my kids. My oldest, oh man, they are like her older brothers, giving her noogies, pulling her backpack off her back. She hates it. But they are filled with joy. Despite persecution, their lives are marked with joy, and it's outward. They share with their attitudes as well as their mouth that Jesus is their treasure. So for us, a question, what is my life marked by? Can I say that I, my life is marked by joy? Is it evident? As I ask Blake to come up and the team, we are so encouraged to be able to share Nick's story with you today. The persecution that these brothers face is no small matter, but that because Jesus is their treasure, they have hope. They live with total abandon and they live with joy. We have the privilege of working with this church and being able to share Nick's story with you. I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspires you because this is just one little corner of the world. There's thousands of places where this church is being birthed in an unreached context. I have a slide with our contact information. My husband will be in the back afterwards. We would love to talk with you more. We are here until about December fundraising and looking for partners, but we also are here to advocate for the unreached in the world. Perhaps some of you are being stirred about the little access of the gospel to certain people like Nick. We are praying for laborers and asking God to send people to the ends of the earth. We'll leave you with this. It's a simple parable, the shortest parable in the Bible, but hopefully it's deep. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Thank you.